assume that everybody that is there is there for the best reasons, best intentions. The burden of proof is not on the security person. And this is the other thing I, I harp on with my security team. We, security, we are an objective sensor. We're here to collect objective data. We get the ones and zeros. As you start out, and I'll just security in general, approach security if you're the practitioner with the mindset of assume positive intent. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and welcome to our very first episode of the new CISO Foundations. Over the last three years, we've seen the new CISO podcast community thrive. And we wanted to create another space where those who support the CISO, the people who build and run different aspects of a security program, can share their own insights and leadership advice in a no-nonsense form. On our inaugural show, I speak with KT Boyle, Senior Cybersecurity Manager at Rakuten, about how his military experience informs his approach to cybersecurity, on what to focus when building an insider threat program, and what the industry can learn from how the military recruits and nurtures talent. All right, KT, thank you so much for joining us today. For the viewer now and for the listener in the future, uh, whichever medium you join us, this is a special episode of the new CISO. Uh, It will be known as the new CISO Foundations, and I'm proud that KT can be our first guest. We've got a lot of different things to talk about, about his career and life and the programs that he manages. And the idea behind the show is that every program, every security program is is built up of building blocks. There's different teams that sort of make that mission happen and come true. And so the foundational element in this case is KT's sort of mission and the building block that he represents for his organization. So that's where we're going to spend our time. We're going to talk a little bit about his past, a little of what he's doing today, and kind of his approach on how to build out a relevant program, how to be a great leader. Uh, KT, for the uninitiated, uh, if you would, introduce yourself, please. Yeah, well, first off, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity, Steve. I know we've had a couple conversations in the past, but honored to, honored to be on here. Uh, appreciate you, you thinking of me, um, especially on like a topic such as this. But for the the uninitiated, as you will, I am uh, KT Boyle. I've been in the cybersecurity space for a better part of a decade now. And it's been an interesting, you know, very circuitous route to to get to where I am. You know, I started out in the military, uh, so I'm currently sitting at 17 years of service. These last couple have been in the reserves. But uh, the, the first decade of my military career, for most part, was as a special forces soldier. I know you have some uh, personal ties to the special operations community, and you know thanks to your family and their services as well. But yeah, so I was a uh, 18 Delta, which is a special forces medic, so a Green Beret medic, and really got to live the the recruiting pamphlet life. You know, I was I was fortunate enough to be able to do all of the all of the things that you actually see on the pamphlet. So 
through fortune, you know, and then not getting hurt, you know, I was uh, was was able to do that. Had a couple deployments under my belt, quite a few. I think I'm at, I just went over 11, you know, on the heels of my last one. But the last one was like a deployment to the NSA. So anytime you're stateside and you can still have a a beer at the end of the day, that's a good deployment. <laughs> but probably right right at the tail end of my enlisted career, you know, I had 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 the the life changing experience. Proud father of twin girls, and I mean, I I can remember you know in the hospital holding them and just looking and like, what am I going to do? Like, what's that next step? And I would not change anything about my past in the world. But the one thing, and again, these are my opinions and my opinions alone. I have nothing but the greatest respect for the soft community. It was no longer my goal. For the longest time, my goal was to be a Green Beret, spread hate and discontent on behalf of the U.S. government, if you will. You know, that's tongue in cheek. Please don't take me too literally, audience, you know, the PC world. But with that, you know, I was like, well, what's what's the goal now to be a dad? And so I wanted to see what my options were to, to, to be a strong father figure, to be available for my kids. And through the, the network that I had built out, I was able to do a couple deployments as a intelligence officer. So when I took my, I went through OCS, that was my commissioning source. And then you have to have a basic branch. You can't just jump right back into like the special operations community or some of the other specialty branches. So one, I was like, well, I like the intelligence community and there's, there's a lot of potential opportunities specifically in and around the, the DC area that, you know, that might align better. Green Berets, you know, in my opinion, you really have a couple things you can do if you just do that in perpetuity until you retire, either start up some t-shirt company or a coffee coffee company. Shout out to Black Rifle Coffee. Right, right. Great coffee. <laughs> yeah, I love them. Yeah, yeah. So really like what they do. Or you're a government contractor overseas uh, and you're really just living the same lifestyle except getting compensated a little bit more. So was was, you know, again, in the right place, right time. Had some some great friends, great mentors at Joint Special Operations Command, and and that's really that was some of the best decisions I ever made were led up to that, and that's what put me in the right place, right time. And I know you and I we've we've joked about this story in the past, but uh, that's how I got my start in cyber. Yeah, you've laid the foundation. You were in Special Forces. You are attempting to transition your life into something that maybe is better for the family that's that's maybe picking up a different type of skill set or a different slightly different mission your home mission's changed a little bit right and you're 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 looking to do that i think a lot of i think many veterans in general or many that are active looking to transition out struggle with this to say what we've talked about this on the show a couple of times and this is extremely relevant. And the, the story I love very much of, again, you're, you're being deployed, you're, you have a very specific mission in the field, typically, and then you go intel, and then there's a point where it flips to cyber. And that is, a, I think, an interesting jump. And that jump that you made is you're still sort of on that same pad, right? You kind of jump to that 
and you're you're there it kind of became a reality and but before we go there and tell that that story let's fast forward to today on the civilian side just what is it at a very high level kt's civilian mission is fill in the blank i'm now fortunate enough to to work in the commercial space you know uh, for a for a large multinational company doing cybersecurity and one of the you know my my main charge is building out a comprehensive security operations pl- program I, I don't want to just you know kind of pigeonhole it into a sock because you know that's really one aspect that's one branch of what we're we're in the process of building out you know so the three you know cybersecurity is all about triads I don't know why we just I guess we like we like triangles but for my team and what we're doing building out a on call 24/7 you know incident response module we're not quite to a 24/7 follow the sun model yet but being able to provide modern cybersecurity detection oriented uh, continuous security monitoring insider threat and data loss prevention protection uh, depending on on how you want to interpret that acronym, and then a vulnerability management program. Got it. I think that's that's helpful generally for the listener to say, okay, this is what sort of the the your day job is to say it plainly. Uh, and we're gonna get we're gonna jump into those specifically of I think two main areas are interesting to me, and I think would be interesting to anyone to, that would meet you is. What's your definition of of good for each of those, and then what's your leadership approach or team building approach to those as well? So, but I want to flip back again, as annoying as it may be, because you just said what you're doing today, but it took a, a jump that also kind of involved maybe an exaggeration of ability for a brief moment to a, I believe, your commanding officer at the time or potential like a CEO. How did you jump? Your your intel is one thing. Cyber is is often another, and you made that jump, and it did it quickly. How'd that happen? They are at polar opposites of the spectrum when you think of the special operations community and cybersecurity. So I have a joke with all of my my cyber soldiers because I'm I'm in the National Guard as a cyber protection team commander at this point, but I always joke cyber cyber soldiers are just as big a divas as Green Berets. They're just not as good at PT. <laughs> that's the that's the big difference, yeah. <laughs> right, right. But with that being said, it sounds trite, but the military they're they're big on mottos, they're big on everything. One of the mottos that has always stuck with me, and I grew up reading Andy McNabb books. Andy McNabb was a British SAS soldier. Then he went on to become kind of an author, like Jack Carr and some of the the more recent authors, you know, from the SEAL and SF community. But you know, I really took to heart that SAS motto of "He who dares wins." which is the nice, politically correct way of saying, sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. And if you can recognize opportunities, you know, I don't think anybody gets lucky. You make your own luck. So you got to, you have to put, you have to position yourself and then you have to be, you know, observant enough to recognize an opportunity when it arises. And so moving into that story, I just got back from a deployment overseas to a Global War on Terror Theater of Operation, and had, an, at the time, he was a full bird colonel, 
He is now, I think he just picked up his second star. So congrats to him. Right. But he, he approached me one day and he said, what do you know about cyber, Kylie? And I was like, well... Yeah, which is kind of a silly-ass question, honestly. Like, I mean, yeah. b- because he knows where you're coming from, right? And he knows how mm-hmm. long you've even been in this new post. And also, asking what do you know about cyber is even kind of a weak... Like, even that phrase like is a little bit weird. Like, you're like, well, was that a tip-off? Like, this guy doesn't know anything, so I can, I can tell this dude anything because he doesn't know what the hell he's even asking me. I mean, did that enter your mind or did that, did that, did that even compute in the moment or is that, where am I off? No, I mean, in the moment, he's obviously, you know, probably 15 years my senior at this, you know, well, indefinitely. But when he reached out to me, he was just like, what do you know? And love him to death. He's a former artillery engineer officer. You know, so we, we have a joke that, you know, artillery officers, you know, the, the complexity of their job is pull string, go boom. So when he asked me about cyber, I was like, well, I'm, you know, and, and to be clear, at this point, I could confidently tell somebody what an IP address and a MAC address were. And that was the extent of my cyber knowledge. Now, uh-huh. <laughs> I want to ask, why, I mean, so that's a very specific thing. The grand scale of your knowledge at the point, how did you know what a MAC address was? What was the, what, I'm going to put you on the spot because it's probably something shady. How in the hell did you know what, what was a MAC address? How did you know what that was? When we do intelligence gathering, some some of those types of components, etc., they can factor into collection or targeting. That's my way of dancing around that without going into explicit detail. Right. And even based on MAC address, country of origin, where it might have been made, who likely supplied it. Supply chain. Yep. Potentially. Right. Maybe. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, there's there's a lot of components and you know when you when you break everything down, if it's if it's a piece of hardware, there's a trail. Right. So we, we like to have a, a clear, comprehensive picture of enemies, allies, etc. So those are all those are all just they're pieces of the puzzle. Right. So you've got you're fully versed, you're ready to, to, to take over cyber at this point, and you've got IP addresses and Mac Mac address understanding uh, full spectrum. And you, uh, the story you told me is, so you're explaining, I kind of want to know, was this face-to-face? Was this, were you telling this guy? So it was face-to-face. He, he approached me, just grabbed me in, in the hallway, you know, at the, at the facility we worked at. And just, you know, kind of an off-the-cuff question. I threw out the, the lexicon I knew, you know, that I was comfortable speaking to at that point. I asked him why he was interested. And that's when he, you know, kind of alluded to, well, there's there's some briefings tomorrow associated with this new cyberspace domain that the military is looking to embrace, you know, and it has subsequently become its own domain of warfare. So it's it's come a long way over the course of the last, especially last six seven years. But um, but they were looking for what he told me is they're looking for a project officer, and the only thing I knew, you know, outside of an IP and a MAC address was I knew that cyber just in general, technology in general, had this massive runway of opportunity. Also, you know, being honest, financial incentives, financial reward. So, and I didn't think it at the, you know, at that very moment in time, but I remember shortly after, you know, the the subsequent events, you know, and the briefings, et cetera. And I was selected to be this project officer and really to help stand up 
one of uh, the defensive cyber operations baselines for U.S. Army cyber. It was a great opportunity. But I remember sitting there talking with my wife, and she's like, what are you doing going into cyber? And I said, do you want me to be gone indefinitely six months out of the year, every year? And, the, and she, of course, she, she says no. She liked dating a Green Beret. She tolerated being engaged to a Green Beret. She loathed being married to a Green Beret. <laughs> and so she was, she was very much on board with, I was like, this is something that I can do after the military. And, you know, and that'd be one thing I would, I would throw out to, to any of the, the listeners that are, you know, in the military or just if you're, you're at any job, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when I, and I learned this the hard way, you know, basically every potential pearl of wisdom I've acquired, I learned through failure. You know, I can safely say that I've, you know, I've, I've made good work of going the most difficult route through everything. Um, <laughs> but I do feel confident in sharing, you know, it's like at the, at the end of the day, especially in the military, you could sacrifice your life in, in defense of the unit, the country, and those are all great things. But when you leave the military, you're going to have this feeling that they're going to miss me. You know, and I remember when I left my special operations ODA, and I was like, they're going to miss me. It's going to change everything. And they missed me for about 10 minutes. And then they just <laughs> and then they just went on. Like, I'd still talk with my friends. Everything was good, but we still hung out. But the mission endures. And that's not just an army thing or a military thing. That's, that's a life thing, man. That's a life thing. And, and it takes a lot of, you know, there was a lot of like heartache, you know, and it took me a while to kind of comprehend that. But you know, I've, I've subsequently been able to, you know, view it as, you know, when I look at, you know, I've got my wife and my, my daughters, everything I do now, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, hey, those three are with me indefinitely till the end of the line. So why am I not prioritizing their needs as well as mine over, over somebody else? And so, you know, it, it really kind of helped, helped me rationalize and come to peace with, you know, giving up you know, various Mark 48 machine guns for a Bluetooth keyboard. Right, right. Almost the same thing. Almost. Well, so we've, we got to go back. You've skipped some things. we got to correct this. You have a senior officer asking you about cyber, and you, you blather on some stuff in the hallways, convincing him that you're the guy, and you learn a little more about the mission. You've got briefings the next day on cyber, and... And so you've got to. You're going to make me say it. So, you've yeah. got to <laughs> rapidly prepare for this. And and so, what was your process of? Look, you've identified an opportunity. Not everybody was was your wife wasn't sure of it out of the gate. You know, at Jump Street was not sure. But you're in there now, saying, "Okay, look, I, I've got to start rapidly ingesting something, some kind of information." So, what the hell was that process like? What did you do in order to? rapidly build some comfort or is it more mainly just shut up and listen kind of a thing what'd you do i wish i had this you know epiphany and i kept my nose in a book the one thing i learned early on in the military is if you say it confidently and you understand your your target audience so you know kind of if you understand your executives your stakeholders whatever trying to find that correlation to the civilian space but 
I know what this, at the time, this colonel, I knew what his buzzwords were. Mm. And I knew, especially from his perspective, he's looking at how can cyber shape the battlefield? Right. You know, how can it enable his troops? Similar to how can cybersecurity be not just a cost center, you know, uh, you know, not just this sunk cost for a business, but hey, how can we how can we have an ROI? How can you make us leaner, faster, more dynamic in the business world? So I did the best thing I could think of. I, I got on to the Security Now podcast by Steve Gibson. Never met him, but I owe I owe Steve Gibson a lot. So I listened to two hours worth of uh, the Security Now podcast and got onto Twitter and just pulled down any of the trending security buzzwords and tried to really just tried to comprehend what was currently going on. That's why I went with just you know a podcast because I didn't want something that was you know I didn't want to be listening to an audiobook or trying to read a textbook that's probably two three years out of print. I wanted something current, something that could potentially, not knowing who the entire audience was going to be, but it's like, I'm sure it's going to be something from the news if I can, you know, like with the ransomware stuff going on today. If we fast forward, if I'm in the same spot that I was then, I would be getting as smart as I can on dark side ransomware right now. Right. And, yeah, well, yeah, and these are the different types of malware. But really, you know, at the end of the day, I got up there. I know he's going to listen to this podcast. So yes, this is my outing. And I know this is why you're making me do this. But I, I lied my ass off. I just took whatever I could formulate. I took some buzzwords and I crafted it into artillery and combat arms speak. And it worked. And, uh, and they didn't call me out on, on, uh, on any of my bullshit. But again, you got to got to know your target audience. So that's the underlying principle that I'll try and reinforce because well, I, I know he's going to hammer me on this. That, that's a great lesson. I mean, understanding, well, look, I mean, all kidding aside, understanding who's going to be in the room and what do they understand really well and how do you draw kind of a connection between this new abstract thing, probably to everybody, Right. You, you know, great leaders are often great translators. And that I think is whether you knew it or not, what you were attempting to do. And they want somebody who, Hey, look, a lot of them didn't want to mess with this. Maybe they were not afraid of it, of course, but like it wasn't interesting to them. They weren't, it wasn't their thing. You had made a decision mentally that that's a route you, that that's a route you were willing to run. And they want to know, can you, can you go from zero to 10%? in an afternoon. And that's what you did. Right. And that's that. Now they didn't know that at the time, but it was enough in the room for them to be like, all right, yeah, let's go You know, tomorrow morning, get at it kind of a thing. And they were cool with it. Right. And they're like, this is, this, the guy's not going to screw this up. So, so you got this now, they're, the guys in the room are convinced that you should own this. Now you got to make it happen. Yeah. Now you got to be able to deliver. Right. And so delivery process was better part of almost three years you know, in various training and, you know, in the military, you know, I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough about the, the military's training pipeline that they have for what I would call the, like the raw recruit pick. You find somebody with a little bit of aptitude or work ethic, and they've got a very deliberate, tested, quantitatively, qualitatively 
path to get people up to a certain threshold. You know, once you get to some some level of mastery, etc., it does become a little bit redundant and then the army, you know, and they know this, they have they have retention issues because of, you know, just the commercial space and the financial implications that come with, you know, a job in the cybersecurity space right now. The pay is a lot more than, you know, a, a sergeant or a specialist is is accustomed to. It's life-changing. No doubt. You kind of went through when we spoke before of, we were talking about building teams and kind of back to this building block and, and maybe even pushing a little more into your your day-to-day mission today. And, and you know, you have this this scope that goes beyond SOC. There's insider threat. There's There's vulnerability management, which... In some circles, we're starting to call, you know, even like a, the concept of security quality, right? So it's, it's even beyond, it could be code, it could be configuration, it could be sort of, you know, absent patches, it could, you know, this sort of life cycle of digital things and how are we sort of managing that. But that's, that's your mission right now, <clears throat> excuse me. And we were talking about just in general, how, what was your approach to talent? And you went down that exact path of, look, you're looking for aptitude. Uh, you were saying good people and aptitude, right? Especially in this sort of work from home world. So uh, before we get more into the nuts and bolts of sort of those three pillars, like how are you evaluating when, when it's KT, the, the, on the civilian side, building teams, what are you looking for? Is it more the same there? Or is there anything else in particular that you're, that you drill in that's different from service? I think you could obviously go down a, a myriad of rabbit holes, but just with, with you know the subject at hand that we're talking about, you know when I you know I, I like to try and reverse engineer, deconstruct everything from from the highest level that highest level that I can, you know what I call like my sphere of influence. But with the stakeholders that I interface with on a daily basis, you know it, you know it's at, it's at the executive level. The first things I think about are what are the questions that they ask, like that they're my my COO is not asking about our MTDD and MTTR. Like they're asking about, are we protected from breaches? Where and how are we most vulnerable to attack? You know, but then also the should our investment levels in security change? Is it too much? Is it not enough? You know, and so I break down the building of a team into, from a security perspective, into three core components. One, team performance. HR people everywhere will rejoice, but the, the human being at the end of the day, they're the, they're the cornerstone. They're the foundation of, of any good team. Then the other two components are visibility. Like, do you have visibility into all of the disparate environments, physical, logical, uh, et cetera? And then tool efficacy. And so regardless of which security stack tech stack you're operating on, if you have good visibility, if you have effective, efficient tools, then it makes the hiring process, in my opinion, a little bit easier because now I don't necessarily need to find a subject matter expert in every level. With these tools that are out here today, there is no shortage of GUIs that allow people to very rapidly distill down an event into its core components and then be able to execute. I, I mean, there's, there's a couple products. I'm trying to be agnostic, but 
there's a couple products out there that you don't even know you don't even have to know how to like format json correctly you just drag and drop these playbooks you hit execute and if one person somewhere else configured everything right you have a sore platform right and and that especially in this day and age is huge and that's where i come back to what you were talking about aptitude good just a good person one of my big things is when i when we bring on anybody the f- the first question i ask the team if they know the individual is like are they a good person and that that is that's both inside and outside of work like if if they if everybody hears nothing but great things oh yeah happy person happy guy happy gal you know they work hard they're, they they want to learn they want to be challenged you've checked 90% of my of my criteria right there. Do you know an IP and a MAC address? All right, there's a hundred. Yeah. So, but uh, but really, when you're looking at those, you know, those executive questions that they're going to ask, it comes down to those components. It doesn't come down to all of the other stuff. It comes down to that. And so, if you can nail those three things, and the visibility and the tools, that's on the it, that's on the leader. That's not on the team. I think you're on to something. You were working backwards from the questions back, even going back to, you know, what what the artillery officer, the currency of that individual. Yeah. And questions are currency. Yeah. And so you're getting questions and then working that backwards saying, okay, what, as I decompose that, what are the things that, that I need to then, how do I translate that into operational success? How do I, how do I, moreover, how do I then explain to them simply of what I do? Because they may not be completely sure. So if they say, well, you know, do I need to invest more? Like, well, there's these three indicators that I run with. There's a lot that goes into them, but there's three. And they they don't want to know what goes into them. They just want to know those three. Yeah. (laughs) I'll tell a quick story. I had somebody, number two person in the company asked me a question that was at a Fortune 30 company. Number two person asked me flat out, are we now secure? And this was post-breach. And everyone in the room wanted me to say yes. And I didn't. Because you don't want to lie. And you got to be, you have, you have to be honest with your word. Yes. <laughs> I spent a bunch of money and a bunch of time and recovered from a big problem. And, but it was the answer I gave. Everybody was ready to have a, was having a, getting ready to have a real bad afternoon, but it ended up going okay. And it, and it aligns with what you're sharing here. And this is why I think it's important to share with everybody else. My statement was, we have built some great capabilities. We have built some relevant capabilities that are adversary aligned. Now, are we secure? That's different. Are we resilient? Are we better than we were? Yes. And the natural question then from her was, well, why then aren't we? I said, well, there's realities of my goal is to build great capabilities and then track the adoption of that capability into the larger rest of the organization, into the into our things like subsidiaries and into legacy tech. And do we do we acquire companies? So then she says, well, why? Again, another why. Well, we don't buy companies well. We don't integrate well. We fight politically about silly things. We don't get rid of old tech. We have too many data centers. We have people who are all, right, we don't have enough standards around some of the IT things. And this is when the conversation began to slide sideways a little bit. But anyway, the point is, I think it aligns with, with your model, maybe better just in general, where you're saying, 
efficacy, right, is the is another way of kind of saying what is the capability adversary aligned? Is there right visibility is just that visibility is almost adoption, right? How much can I see? How much will people cooperate with me? How much of that? What's my what's my field of control, right? And then team performance is just that. So I I love that as a format, and I love how you've taken it from how do I go from executive question to a theme that then is super consumable. I mean, you could almost have three slides to explain, here's where I am. I like that. Three slides, and you can have the title of like team performance, visibility, tool efficacy, and then you have a graphical representation. So if, if you got a data scientist, you know, somebody is good in coding an R, great. But everything I've learned has all boiled down to if it's more than three slides, if it's more than a one-page executive summary, it's it's not you're not doing you're you're not doing justice to your team. Your team's doing the work, right? Because if they're not doing the work, it'll reflect in other ways. As a leader, your job is to be that advocate. Your job is to remove as many barriers, you know, for for that team to be effective. And and that's it's what I have found to be quite successful. I promised some folks that knew that you were going to be on the show to get into more of the building blocks and to hit a, uh, you know, hit a bit on those sort of pillars that you mentioned earlier. And again, that's sort of, it's VM, it's insider threat. You didn't start there. And I think it's still evolving and growing. It probably always will. But walking through those, and I'd like to end on insider threat if we could. So just starting in general, and maybe in the backdrop of what you mentioned before, you know, visibility and, and, and getting into tool efficacy, just programs in general. If we were speaking with maybe somebody who's a little less senior uh, than the two of us, maybe they're just getting started, maybe they've never done it. Give me a couple starting places for SOC and VM, and then we'll, we'll get an insider threat last. But where do you begin? What's your opinion on that? How do you get rolling? I mean, I think if, if you just, I'm a big fan, I'll just start, you know, with the generalization. I'm a big fan of the CIS controls. And the reason I probably bring a bias, you know, the Army is big into SANS training. So I've gone through a lot of SANS training. They're big into C- to CIS. But the thing I like about the CIS controls, you know, and I, I tell everybody, if you can do controls one and two, asset management, if you can just do those two to 80% efficacy, you are already a much more secure program than any program I've ever been a part of or built. And, and it's a challenge. But, you know, it's a challenge that everybody should strive to. But then that other foundation piece, it sounds, it sounds trite. It's not what a security practitioner wants to hear or do, but it's the documentation. It's the policies. It's the governance. It is the foundation of everything. And whether you're a, you know, a small, medium business, some big tech startup, Fortune 30 company, being aligned, you know, with an, at the executive level, with legal buy-in, and with HR, if you can check the box, to check the boxes on any sort of policy from those three stakeholders, if you will, it then gives the security practitioner that left and right limit. They know where they can operate. They know where they can play, and and it does remove remove a lot of the ambiguity, and especially. You know, when you talk about insider threat, DLP, it sounds Orwellian, you know, and a lot of people don't like, like a lot of employees 
are very, very cautious of what do you mean you're looking at my stuff? And it's like, well, it's in your AUP. It's in your employee handbook. I know you didn't read it. You just clicked on it. I clicked on mine. But that way, when the the DLP, the SOC analyst is, is working through this type of uh, playbook, if you will, or runbook, they don't have to s- stop every third step and, and, and check with me or check with legal or whatever. They're like, nope. I have I have a workflow and you know I it sounds awkward but I view incident response I view a lot of these things if you set them up correctly if you have those the policies you know and everything in, in place you you set up a runbook you know which basically just a flow chart it's like trauma medicine and that's what 18 deltas are good at you know trauma medicine if you want us to do clinical medicine good luck but if we just need to keep the red Kool-Aid in I can do that so, but, and that's what I want, you know, again, being an advocate for my, my team, I want them to be able to rapidly iterate through an incident as quickly as possible without any sort of blockers. And if you are building out a program, regardless of what level you're at, if you can do the policies, the run books, you know, the, the, the workflows correctly early on, it's going to you know, rapidly expedite your team's efficacy. Completely agree. I think that a lot of organizations get ahead of themselves, especially on insider threat, uh, because it's a little bit ambiguous. What do we really mean? Does that mean DLP? Is it something else? And how far do we go? And who many organizations begin the program without any kind of steering committee? They don't have that left and right bound. And the problem is, is then we get going and we get excited and we find something and you get an analyst that is excited because they want to they, they want to look good in your eyes and so they're going to go out and and dig in and if you haven't set up those workflows and you haven't set up sort of the governance and you haven't socialized these ideas and you don't have that left and right they're going to get themselves in trouble and then they're going to piss somebody off and now they're going to pump the brakes on your whole program i've seen it i've seen it a hundred times and the additional thing i i would add in there is depending on the size of your company, are you multinational? Because if you are, that needs to be outlined. You know, we deal with it all the time. Well, and if you're, you, you brought up mergers and acquisitions and not doing it well, well, if slash when a company was, was procured through M&A, did those employees that just came in, did they sign the AUPs, the handbooks, you know? And, Man, that's an excellent point. Yeah. So learn through failure. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've got you you have cultural impacts on insider threat. That's do you even sh- many organizations don't even refer to it as insider threat. Uh, some put a different brand on it, uh, it's trusted insider, that kind of thing. There's cultural elements that areas of the world where it's you you almost have to sell it to say, look, this isn't that we think anybody individually is going to do anything wrong that they would want to harm the company. We know that there are people on the outside that may want to take over their persona and harm the company, which is sort of a loss of trust for everybody and is sort of different areas of the world view it differently. You also have areas in, for example, Germany, you've got workers' council that have, there's typically checks and controls there that are very important where you can monitor certain things. You, you Other things need sort of an escalation path, uh, which gets back to your earlier points you make. So, but M&A, man, that is a, well, 
that's important point of insider threat. There's an onboarding element to this, no matter how you arrive. Sometimes it's M&A. Well, and with M&A, again, every company is different. But if if your company is expanding, venturing into different sectors, industries, certain industries view certain documents, you know, et cetera, to be, you know, of higher criticality than, you know, so if you're at a tech startup, source code is everything. If you're a, you know, like an e-commerce, you're some sort of like online retailer, yeah, maybe, maybe they don't care about source code. And then you're also looking at, you know, we have, we've got a, a tool, I, I think the world of it, but anytime it sees anything .js, it gets flagged as source code. I was like, whoa. So there's just these learning curves. So then you really gotta, you end up having to sit down and ideally the more proactive you can be, the better with these things. And, and it's part of that policies and the foundational documents, kind of building out a, a critical asset or a critical document list. You know, at a minimum, it's like, well, if it says quarterly business review on it, if it says financials or, or salaries, you know, we come up with you know, a, a dirty words list of sort. And every day we just run automated reports. Did any, did any of these documents, you know, uh, alert? If so, most 99% of the time, you know, it was uh, just out of, it was done out of ignorance. They may not have known they had an iCloud sync or a Dropbox sync, right. you know, configured on, on their laptop. The other thing I'd say as you start out, and I'll, I'll just, you know, with security in general, approach security if you're the practitioner with the mindset of assume positive intent. Assume that everybody that is there is, is there for the, you know, the best reasons, best intentions. You know, and the, the burden of proof, if you will, is, is not on the security person. You know, and this is what I, this is the other thing I, I harp on with my security team. It's like we security, we are an objective sensor. We're here to collect objective data. You know, we 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 get the ones and zeros, and we come up with our interpretation of what the data is telling us. And if it warrants an escalation to HR and to legal, legal gets to interpret the law. That's a nightmare. You know, I I don't I don't want to be an attorney, and I really don't want to be HR. You know, that's why I got into cybersecurity, so I didn't have to interact with people. But you know, HR can deal with the, you know, that subjective human dynamic. Security, you're here to look at the objective data, and uh, you know, and it's worked for us. And yeah, and then you have that steering committee. You ha- you lay out that strong foundation, regardless of insider threat. You know, SOC, vulnerability management. You know, it's. That's where you are either going to succeed or you're going to, you're not going to fail. It's just going to be painful for much longer than it needs to be. From an operations standpoint, I want to, I want to get some absolutes from you as you're building, whether it's SOC, Insider Threat, you want to make sure your staff always, dot, 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 from a capability standpoint, you want to make sure that you always are doing what? What is what reinforcement from investments you've made from technologies? What is it? What is it that you expect? What would you, if you were visiting somebody else's sock, what are the the behaviors and the ingredients that you would expect to see 
uh, related to the decisions they've made there? What What is it you expect? What do you recommend? Is this operationally or just looking at like the team itself? Operationally. So, you know, one of the things I've, and let me clarify a little more, just, just basic people waste time doing lots of things. There's lots of low value tasks that get sort of eaten up that are, it's not a high value task, but it's high effort. Yeah. And that's one of my pet peeves. I always look for that. So that would be one of the things I look for to say, where are we, you know, we can say this. Uh, another friend of mine mentioned in an earlier conversation, things that have you know, sort of the, the shit to shine ratio just isn't there, right? And so what are the things that don't give you that, 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 that make you, could be wasting time, it could be inconsistency, it could be lacking in capability or visibility. Just from an evaluative standpoint, you're going to coach another future SOC leader, insider threat leader, what are you going to look at? Say, hey, that's good. That's bad. From a, Yeah, from a SOC leader perspective, and I'll, I'll approach it from there because there is, in my opinion, a clear delineation between the leader, manager, you know, pick, pick your buzzword, and the analyst or the practitioner. And the practitioner, they're there to work. It's just like, you know, the, the analogy of an enlisted soldier. I'm not trying to say that they're drones, like when you're an enlisted soldier, you are there to execute the plans. You know, like leadership, what they should be doing, they're, they're the ones that are in those meetings late at night. They're coming up with the strategy and they will, if they're doing their job right, they're laying out the foundation so that when you show up on Monday, you have your checklist of things that need to happen. You understand your, your daily operational rhythm and you execute. From a leadership perspective, you know, I kind of come back to those, you know, those questions, you know, the, the executive questions, if you will. You know, the first thing I start with is, what does your business do, and is it changing? And if you can clearly articulate as a as a security leader what your business does, you're ahead of the game. Because, yeah, and 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 again, that's that's based off of my experience because. Depending on what you're doing, like if you're if you're a company that is, you know, you're a tech startup and you're trying to rapidly dish out some minimum viable product, may, you know, and then either get bought out or, you know, go through a bunch of series ABC funding and, you know, and, and blow up, be the next Amazon or whatever, you're going to approach security differently. And and I think if you can understand what the business is trying to do, what they are trying to achieve in the present, and then what the short-term horizon is. Because in this, you know, at least in tech, you know, if you have plans that go out further than two years, I mean, good on you, but it's going to change. Right. Like, right. I mean, you know, decentralized, you know, cloud computing, decentralized computing, you know, everything that's on the horizon, we're, we're going to be dealing with problems that you and I probably haven't even comprehended three right. years from now. So, so I'm, so, so that's really, you got to be able to do that. And if you know that, then you know where to put your effort and you know what the, the best shit to shine is going to be for those stakeholders. Another way, you know, maybe a, a more direct uh, or maybe a, a slightly different angle even is a bad security operations center analyst does what? What's an example of a, of, if you're going to be a bad security analyst in your program, right? If you're going to, if not, not, I'm not talking about failure. I'm saying like, what is, or maybe even a bad team lead doesn't do. Finish that sentence. They don't ask questions. And if you don't ask questions, 
I've got a great team and again, stereotypical, but you know, I'm stereotyping, I should say, but they tend not to be the most experienced extroverts. You know, they're, they're some of them, their interpersonal skills, you know, they, there's room for improvement. But when we have our daily stand-up, there's, there's a rule. Everybody has to talk. Everybody has to share something. Not every day, but, you know, each week, one of the, the personnel does kind of a, a quick, you know, I, I hate lunch and learns. But we do a little like 15 minute like, hey, look what I found. Like, did anybody know this? Some people know it. Some people don't. There's that discussion. If I have somebody, especially in this work from home, what I would call the future of especially like IT and information security, you know, it's going to be decentralized. I've got a, my team, you know, spans from Silicon Valley. I have people in New York. They all we all work together via Zoom, Slack, etc. Pick your communications and collaboration platform. But if they're not asking questions, if I have to reach out to that person, I'm not going to spend my time trying to like look at their logs and see what they're doing. I, you know, it's my leadership style. I don't check their tickets. I'm not trying to see how many tickets you closed out. If you're asking questions, that in my opinion shows me that you're interested, you're engaged. If you're not asking questions or if you're just coasting, you know, it doesn't mean that they're not a good employee, but it means that they're coasting. And if somebody's coasting in this sect, in this space, they're probably looking for another job or, <laughs> right. or maybe you just, you're just happy with the, the output. And somebody that is, is not asking questions those are the ones I start with because I'm like, all right, what do we need to incentivize you to be more engaged? You know, somebody that is asking the questions. I have one guy, I know he'll listen to this podcast. He asks questions every damn day, you know, and he's like, I'm sorry. And I was like, it's okay because he's learning. He's new. And I was like, no, it, it shows me that you're, you're engaged. I was like, that's what I want to see. You absolutely want that. Look, I think I mentioned this maybe in our earlier conversation. Maybe I didn't, but when I travel now, you know, I have a very different mission with Exabeam than in my prior life. Uh, you know, running and building, you know, analytic groups and response teams and things. Now I'm helping other people do it, but it's 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 not as the persistence. You know, I'm not the full time sort of steward of that. It's it's sliced over many people. But the biggest thing, if I see people not asking questions on the analytics side, on the staff side. It's typically because they've had bad leadership above them, right? We need people that'll take risks and innovate. We've talked about that. And if they have a team lead or a manager over them that puts them in a situation where they don't feel safe, like they can't go and run like hell to go innovate and take risks to match the adversary's uh, energy, so to speak, they become very indifferent. And indifference is the indicator for me of indifference is they're not engaged. They're not asking a damn thing. They're not, they're, they're, They've turned your analytic group into a, and no offense to anyone who's in the help desk, but basically into a ticket closing kind of a help desk kind of thing. They're just churning through. But it's, it's, it's lack of intestinal fortitude of the leader directly above them is the quickest way to indifference in a security operations center. That's sort of my, that's when I'm getting up in front of a crowd of people and doing, you know, keynote presentations. That's what I talk about. So if you have an, if your team's in the tell is back to your, your questions, right? If they're not asking questions, you got to question leadership above them in my book. Not everyone would agree, but that's sort of 
through my history of failures and some successes, that's sort of my formula. So very much aligns there. We are at at our mark. We've done we've had an hour and KT, I still have pages of other things uh that I know I'd love covering with you, but I think that to put a capstone on this, this is the first one of these we've done. I just I, I've enjoyed this. I wish it could have been in person over I don't know if you drink or what I'm sure I assume you do, but I, well, yeah, yeah, over a beer or whatever. But doing this virtually has been, man, this is one of the best parts of my job. And the information you share has a unique perspective, not only a relevant one, but there's people's pasts, you know, will shape their future and their thinking. And, and it's helpful. I hope that through this chat, there's maybe someone in service who's, who's maybe considering maybe going into IT that maybe is inspired by what you've shared. Beyond that, maybe people that are thinking about maybe they've been slotted to create an analytic or a response or an insider threat program that have taken um, inspiration from what you've shared. And, and just I, I can't thank you enough. And I'll open it one more time to you if there's anything you'd like to share in closing, parting thought or, or uh, anything that we mentioned before. Foremost, uh, this has been great. I appreciate uh, you know you reaching out and honored to honored to be on the podcast, but especially with uh, the, the foundations aspect that uh, you're working towards now. I think, yeah, I think it's a great initiative. Uh, but I, I will, I'll close with what you brought up about service members looking to transition because it is, you know, it's, it, you know, that one definitely hits close to home. Regardless of what you've done in the military, even if you have no experience and you if you know what an IP and a MAC address are, and that's it, there's, there's, there's a road, and there is a future, and it's definitely attainable. Depending on where you want to go, what you want to do, just you have to challenge yourself. Outside of that, I think everybody should, regardless of where you're at, it sounds cliche, but look around you. Who are you doing what you're doing for? I am fortunate and you know this this whole covid pandemic has been i hate to make it sound like it's been a great thing for me but it has drastically changed my life for the better i have lost uh, lost multiple family members to it so you know i'm trying to not make it sound too uplifting cuz it's been terrible but you know when I, when i think about who am i working for i get to see them every day you know, right. like my girls, they just got done with school for the year. And so, you know, I, yeah, I have coffee with them. As soon as this podcast's over, I'm going to go have lunch with them. So when you're looking at where you want your life to go, who are you going to do it for? And if you and if you don't have anybody, if it's just you, that's great, too. You, then you know who you're doing it for. Just like the military, just like the company I'm at, I'm sure with the company that you're at, you have a time, you have a place, you're there, but you're going to leave maybe, or, or, you know, or maybe you, you will leave at some point, you retire. Right. The people or the friends, the family that, that, you, that you really hold on to, you cherish, they're with you till the end of the line. So don't forget about them. And if for me, it has changed my, it's changed my modus operandi and my life is much richer for it. I've never had more fun in my life than I've had in cybersecurity. Sorry, SF community. I, you know, my, my coolest moment was I was doing a halo jump off the coast 
of Coronado. We were jumping with, uh, I believe it was SEAL Team 3. This is many years ago. We jumped out like five nautical miles off the coast. We landed in the water. We got in the Zodiacs and we boated in. That sounds cool, but yep. it's not nearly as fulfilling. It hasn't been as much enjoy. You know, I haven't had as much enjoyment holistically as I've had with my with my real priorities you know in place so i hope that that doesn't affect the military's recruiting numbers but yeah who are you doing it for and you know and that's probably where i'd leave it now that's fantastic and you would know way better than i it's it's high altitude low open right basically skydiving so yeah jump out at twenty five thousand feet yeah yeah that's appreciate all the the information you've shared and just being with us today i, I can't thank you enough this has been episode one of the new CISO Foundations with KT Boyle. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.